Catholic missionary and a Congolese village woman whose name has vanished forever in the ravages of war and time. I was born, to be precise, behind the locked doors of a Carmelite convent in the town of Kisangani, or Stanleyville as was, being delivered by nuns who had vowed to keep their mouths shut, which to anybody but me sounds funny, surreal or plain invented. But to me, it's a biological reality, as it would be for you if at the age of ten you had sat at your saintly father's bedside in a mission house in the lush green highlands of South Kivu in eastern Congo, listening to him sobbing his heart out, half in Norman French and half in Ulsterman English, with the equatorial rain pounding like elephant feet on the green tin roof and the tears pouring down his fever-hollowed cheeks so fast you'd think the whole of nature had come indoors to join the fun. Ask a Westerner where Kivu is, he will shake his head in ignorance and smile. Ask an African, and he will tell you, paradise, for such it is. A Central African land of misted lakes and volcanic mountains, emerald pastureland, luscious fruit groves, and similar. In his seventieth and last year of life, my father's principal worry was whether he had enslaved more souls than he had liberated. The Vatican's African missionaries, according to him, were caught in a perpetual cleft stick between what they owed to life and what they owed to Rome, and I was part of what he owed to life, however much his spiritual brothers might resent me. We buried him in the Swahili language, which is what he asked for. But when it fell to me to read The Lord is My Shepherd at his graveside, I gave him my very own rendering in she his favorite among all the languages of the Eastern Congo, for its vigor and flexibility. Illegitimate sons-in-law of mixed race do not merge naturally into the social fabric of wealthy Surrey, and Penelope's parents were no exception to this time-honored truism. In a favorable light, I used to tell myself when I was growing up, I looked more sun-tanned Irish than mid-brown Afro. Plus, my hair is straight, not crinkly, which goes a long way if you're assimilating. But that never fooled Penelope's mother or her fellow wives at the golf club, her worst nightmare being that her daughter would produce an all-black grandchild on her watch, which may have accounted for Penelope's reluctance to put matters to the test, although in retrospect I am not totally convinced of this, part of her motive in marrying me being to shock her mother and upstage her younger sister. A word here regarding my dear late father's life struggle will not be deemed out of place. His entry into the world, he confided to me, had been no smoother than my own. Born in 1917 to a corporal in the Royal Ulster Fusiliers and a 14-year-old Normandy peasant girl who happened to be passing at the time, he spent his childhood on the shunt between a hovel in the Sperrin Mountains and another in northern France until by dint of study plus his inherited bilinguality he clawed himself a place in a junior seminary in the wilds of County Donegal, and thus set his young feet unthinkingly on the path to God. Sent to France for the greater refinement of his faith, he endured without complaint interminable years of grueling instruction in Catholic theology, but as soon as the Second World War broke out he grabbed the nearest bicycle which, with Irish wit, he assured me was the property of a godless Protestant, and peddled hell for leather across the Pyrenees to Lisbon. Stowing away on a tramper bound for Leopoldville, as was, 
He evaded the attentions of a colonial government ill-disposed towards stray white missionaries and attached himself to a remote community of friars dedicated to bringing the one true faith to the 200-odd tribes of the eastern Congo, an ambitious commitment at any time. Those who now and then have accused me of impulsiveness need look no further than my dear late father on his heretic's pushbike. Aided by native converts whose tongues the natural linguist swiftly made his own, he baked bricks and limed them with red mud trodden by his own feet, dug ditches in the hillside and installed latrines amid the banana groves. Next came the building, first the church, then the school with its twin bell tower, then the Mother Mary clinic, then the fish ponds and fruit and vegetable plantations to supply them, such being his true vocation as a peasant in a region lavishly endowed with nature's riches, whether you are talking cassava, papaya...